I'm excited about preaching this morning. We're going to continuing our series on uh, God has a bigger story, a greater story. In every story, there's a greater story. And you know what's amazing is in your story, there's a greater story. God is doing more in your life than what you can see right now. And someday you begin to see the bigger picture and you begin to see and then you how that happens is you look back and you were going through situations and you were just barely making it through those situations. And now you look back and you say, oh God, you were at work. You did this and you did that and you changed this and you changed me. And at the time you didn't see that. And so always have open eyes and a heart to see God's greater story. I met my wife, my sweet wife Vicki, on September the 19th, 1976. <laughs> right? 1976. And we got married on January the 29th. 1977. So if you can count, how long did we wait? Four months. That's amazing. It's the only quick thing I've ever done in my life. If you know me, you know that's true. Best decision of my life. And before I met my wife, I was in a church. Uh, in, in a Baptist church leading music in East Texas. And I was there uh, for three years. And uh, I was actually, my title was Minister of Music, Youth, and Education. I don't know what that means, but that's what the Baptist called it. And I developed friends. And one of my friends was a hunting guy. He loved to go hunting. And he was not saved. His wife was a full-blood Cherokee Indian, a sweet lady, born again, solid Christian, but he was not a Christian. Uh, he was pretty rough. So I befriended him with the idea that I could have an influence in his life, that I would go hunting with him, and we would do things together, and I would try and let my light shine in his life. So we left. Um, of course, I went from there, and here I am now. Uh, I'm married. And so uh, I've been married seven months, and I had previously set up and had a elk hunting trip to Colorado plan with Charles, who was my friend back from Winsboro, Texas. And um, so having just been married, now we're just married about nine months because we, we went hunting in October. And so I talked my wife into going hunting with me. You know, we're just freshly married. We, she doesn't really know me. I don't really know her. We're just learning one another. You know, the first few years, you're really just figuring everything out. Uh, and so I told my wife, I told Vicki, I said, Sweetheart, this will be a great adventure. The plan is, is, and we were like living on pennies. I mean, we were bare bones, budget, everything. So we were going to go. We were going to camp out in a tent on top of a mountain in Colorado. What could go wrong? We picked out a mountain, had it, the location. 
where we had the tags and uh, picked out a top of a mountain where there was a camping spot. It was about 10,000 foot elevation. Uh, so I said, sweetheart, I'll bring a tent. We'll bring sleeping bag. Oh, we'll have time together. It'll be so much fun. And not knowing a whole lot, she said, okay. Now, all I have to say on this side of it is she must have loved me a great deal. She really must have. Because we drive for two days, we're in two vehicles, we drive for two days, and we get there and we start going up the mountain. I'm in a little Ford Courier truck, two-wheel drive. My friend Charles, he's in a four-wheel drive uh, Land Cruiser, so he has no problem. Three-fourths of the way up the mountain, it starts lightly snowing. That was nice at the bottom of the mountain. Three-fourths of the way up, it's cold, and it starts snowing. By the time we get to the camping spot, it is a blizzard, 22 degrees. And I have to set up the tent in the blizzard, in the snow, and I get as much snow inside the tent as I do outside the tent. There's seven inches of snow on the ground by the time we get the tent up. And we get in the tent, and the next morning, all that moisture has frozen solid into ice. So from that point to the time we left, and we were up there 10 days, 10 days. Now, after the second day, my wife was ready to go home. But I couldn't because I had a two-wheel drive truck, and I couldn't make it down the mountain in the snow. Because it's, you know, now it's 12 inches of snow all the way down. So every day, Charles and I get up and we go hunting. And we leave the two wives uh, at the tent. And my wife is cold the whole time. And we'd hunt from sunup to sundown. And I want to tell you, we're in prime elk country. Best place you could possibly, and we don't see an elk anywhere. I mean, we're getting up before it's light, and we hunt till after dark, and we don't see a cow, we don't see a bull, we don't see anything. And I said, you know, after about eight days, I came back to the tent one day, and every day when I got back, my wife was cold, she was angry. And she wanted to go home. And all she would talk about is, I want to get out of here. I want to take a bath. And you couldn't do either one. So finally, after eight days, I said, I cannot understand why we are not seeing any elk. And she said, well, I have a confession to make. I said, what? She said, all the day while you're gone, I'm praying you will not see a single elk. I said, sweetheart, why would you do that? She says, because I don't want you to even think about ever coming back again. <laughs> I wish I'd have found out that early on. So we finally finished. We didn't see a thing. I didn't get a thing. And I've never been elk hunting since. <laughs> now, why in the world did I 
make that crazy trip and bring my wife. One reason, my friend Charles talked me into going and bringing my wife so he could bring his wife. Now, she's full-blood Cherokee. She didn't mind it. You know, she could probably sleep in the snow. It wouldn't bother her. And I think you told us one day that a bear came by, and, and, they, and they both had a loaded 357 Magnum in the tent, and, uh, you know, they could hear the bear outside. All kinds of exciting things happened. Uh, great, great fellowship, great fellowship. <laughs> but I want to say this. I, that is, sometimes you get yourself into situations that you really shouldn't be in because of wrong friendships. Wrong friendships will get you into situations you have no business being in. I want you to think about your friendships right now. Now, association with people is different than friendship. You understand that? We are supposed to and have to associate with people of all kinds. Saved, unsaved, lost, unlost, everything. But friendship is different. And I had attempted to be a friend with someone who didn't love God. And he talked me into a situation I should have never been in. It's a good thing we didn't freeze to death up there. And it reminded me of a story in the Bible that I want to talk to you about today. And we're talking about God's greater story in the life of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a king. Asa was his daddy. Asa was a great king, loved God. And so was Jehoshaphat. But Jehoshaphat made a serious mistake. And his serious mistake was that he had a friend who hated God. Who was his friend? His friend was Ahab. You remember Ahab? Remember who Ahab is married to? Jezebel. How in the world did Jehoshaphat, a man who sought after God and loved God, how in the world did he become friends with Ahab? Because he had his son to marry Ahab's daughter. That means his son has a mother-in-law of Jezebel. How'd you like to have a mother-in-law, Jezebel? And I want you to look at second, first, excuse me, Second Chronicles chapter eighteen, verse one and two. Look what happened. Jehoshaphat enjoyed great riches and high esteem, and he made an alliance with Ahab of Israel by having his son marry Ahab's daughter. A few years later, he went to Samaria to visit Ahab, who prepared a great banquet for him and his officials. They butchered great numbers of sheep, goat, and cattle for the feast. Watch this. Then Ahab enticed Jehoshaphat to join forces with him to recover Ramoth-Gilead. Jehoshaphat got into a battle he had no business getting into. It wasn't his fight. It wasn't his battle. It wasn't even to recover anything of his. But Ahab used his influence through their marriage of their children and notice how he puts on the big banquet. And see, when ungodly friends go to great extent for you, 
It's because they want to pressure you into doing something that you really have no business doing. And I believe God has a greater story in the life of Jehoshaphat that we need to learn. When I'm saying we, I'm talking about us individually, as families, and as our church. There are some principles that we can learn from Jehoshaphat that would help us by looking at the bigger, greater story that God is trying to show us. And the very obvious first thing, and that is, choose your friends carefully. Say that. Choose your friends carefully. Why? Because if you don't choose your friends carefully, they will get you to do things you don't have any business doing. They will get you into battles you have no business being in battle with. You'll be fighting a battle that's not your battle. You'll be taking offenses over something that has nothing to do with you. Everybody wants to get you on their side. And so I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you strongly. The name of the message today is Positioned for Victory. Positioned for Victory. I believe God wants us to be victorious in every battle that we fight. But in order to be victorious, in order to have victory, we've got to learn to be positioned for victory. You've got to be in the right position. And the very first thing you've got to do is you've got to make sure you've got the right friends. How many of you know somebody who got into trouble, then they got out of trouble, got clean, got their life together, got everything kind of together, but then you watch them fall right back into the same mess they used to be in. And why did they do it? Nearly every time, it was because of wrong friendships. It's amazing how many times you get back and you're back with some of those same friends and those same friends do just what Ahab did. They entice you to get into something you have no business getting into. Now, this is a battle. And I want to tell you, I could not believe what I read about this battle. Right before the battle. It's a battle against the Armenians. Right before the battle... Ahab says this to Jehoshaphat. He said, Jehoshaphat, I've got a great idea. You wear your kingly robes and look like a king, but I'm going to dress up like a normal soldier. What you think? Now, wouldn't that have been a sign to get out? Wouldn't that be a sign that this guy is setting you up? Right? Jehoshaphat goes along with it. Can you believe that? He puts on his kingly robes. And allows Ahab to put on his normal soldier's clothes as if he's going to be disguised and look like just one of the soldiers. See, Ahab knows. The Armenians, the army they're up against, they're extremely angry with Ahab. Ahab has done all kinds of things. It even says about Ahab that he was one of the wickedest kings of all of Israel. He hated God. He married Jezebel. He went along with the worship of Baal. And now he's in the middle of a battle 
And even the lead up into the battle was most interesting. The prophet spoke and said, Ahab, you're going to die in this battle. And Ahab says, you always say things I don't like. Do we have anybody else? Do I have another prophet who will maybe say something a little better? And all the other prophets said, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. God's going to bless you. Hallelujah. Give $50 and you'll get a great seed. They're all liars. The real prophet of God said, you're going to die in this battle. Well, it's kind of interesting. Look, if you would... At 2 Chronicles 18, verse 33 and 34. An Armenian soldier, however, randomly shot an arrow at the Israelite troop and hit the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. Turn the horses and get me out of here. Ahab groaned to the driver of the chariot. I'm badly wounded. The battle raged all that day. The king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot facing the Armenians. In the evening, just as the sun was setting, he died. How many of you know it was not a random arrow? Be careful, your sin will find you out. That was a God-directed arrow. You think just an an Armenian soldier is just going to shoot an arrow up into the air randomly, and it's going to randomly come and hit the king that they're looking for, and it's just so happened going to hit him right in the seam of his armor? God was directing that arrow for the lifetime of sin that Ahab had spent. And the battle was over. They lost the battle. Ahab died. Jehoshaphat lived. And I just want to say God is merciful sometimes. Even when we get ourselves into situations we have no business getting ourselves into. God was merciful to Jehoshaphat. But he was not happy. Look at this. 2 Chronicles 19, verse 1, 2, and 3. Boy, there's a powerful question right here. I I want you to make sure you don't miss this. So powerful. When King Jehoshaphat of Judah arrived safely home in Jerusalem, Jehu, he was a great prophet, Jehu, the son of Hananiah, the seer, went out to meet him. Here's the question. Boy, this is a question God is asking a lot of Christians today. Why should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Ask the king. He asked the king. Because of what you have done, the Lord is very angry with you. Even so, there is some good in you. For you have removed the ashes poles throughout the land, and you have committed yourself to seeking God. That's the reason he survived the battle. He had a heart to seek after God. Yes, he made a terrible mistake. Yes, he made an alliance with someone he should not have made an alliance with. He had friendship with somebody he had no business being a friend with. He got himself into a battle he should not have been into. But you know, sometimes when you mess up, God has mercy When you have a heart that seeks after God. Now it says God's angry with him. He's not pleased at all. But there is forgiveness. Hallelujah. There is forgiveness. And I want to. I'm pleased to report to you. It looks as though Jehoshaphat. 
learned his lesson. Because now he's about to face another battle. He's about to get into a whole new battle. And this time, instead of trying to make an alliance with somebody who hates God, this time he fully seeks the Lord. And that's good. And that kind of leads us to the second thing I believe the Lord wants to say to us about this story. And that is, you have to set your heart to seek God's help. If you're in a battle and you're going to be victorious, you need to set your heart. What does that mean? To set your heart is to have your heart to be firm, almost like hardened toward God. It's almost like the setting of concrete. I'm going to set my heart. I'm not going to waver from this. I'm not going to go back and forth. I'm going to set my heart to seek God. And Jehoshaphat was faced with a huge army. The estimates were about 200,000 soldiers from three different countries, all Edomites. And he's faced with a huge battle. Faced with a huge army. And look how he responds. This is in Second Chronicles 20, verse 1, 2, 3, and 4. Let's look at it. After this, the armies of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Minuites declared war on Jehoshaphat. They're all from Edom. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army from Edom is marching against you. From beyond the Dead Sea, they are already at Hazion Tamar. This was another name for En So they're coming in from the north. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and he begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. I want to tell you, if you are going to be positioned for victory, you better set your heart toward God. You better set your heart towards seeking God's help. You see, I've learned this about battles. Now, all of us go through a lot of battles. Some of them are small battles, some of them are medium-sized battles, and sometimes they're huge. But what I've learned, we all go through battles. And we periodically, throughout our life, we're going to go through battles. And this is one thing I've learned about going through a battle, because Vicki and I have been through our share of them. And I've learned that asking why am I in this battle is not a good question. Now, is that a tendency for us? Is that something we tend... Yeah. Lord, why do I have to go this? Oh, why me? Why not them? Why don't you send this battle to them? Why don't, hey, I'm better than they are. I hadn't done this and I hadn't done that. And they're bad over there. So why don't you send the battle with them? We spend a lot of our time asking the wrong question. And this is another thing I've learned about battles. Every battle we face is a test of our heart to see who we will seek. To see who we will trust. And so I've learned, don't spend your time asking, why me, Lord? Or why am I in this battle? The question to ask is, Lord, 
who am I looking to? Am I looking to you? Am I got my strength going to come from you? Have I set my heart towards you? See, that's what is at stake here. Who do you trust in every situation? Who do you look to? Who are you setting your heart toward? Every battle you face in life is a test for our heart. Every battle you face is a test for your heart. And God is watching to see how you react. And if you're saying, oh, why, you know, why me? I don't, I, I don't understand this. You know, you just have a tendency to go around that and go through it again. But once you'll stop asking why, and you'll begin to set your heart toward God, you'll begin to say, Lord, here I am. And then I think you react the way Jehoshaphat does because he does a good thing. Not only does he seek the Lord, not only does he tell people to fast and pray, he does something better. This is number three. Position yourself for the battle. Look what God says to him in verse 10 through 12 in Second Chronicles 20. It says, And now, see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt. This is, this is Jehoshaphat praying to God. So they went around and did not, they did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us. For they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack we do not know what to do, but we're looking to you for help. Don't you love it? I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm looking to you, Lord. That's the question. Who are you looking to for help? Now, the obvious thing is God could have fought the battle, defeated the enemy while they were sleeping, right? I mean, they could have gone to sleep because one of the prophets here says, the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. And they could have said, oh, great, hallelujah, I'm going to sleep in tomorrow. But no, God doesn't do it that way. He doesn't fight it in such a way that they don't have to show up for battle. And again, I think this is a bigger story that he's trying to say something to us. You have to position yourself. You've got to get yourself in the right place. You've got to get your heart in the right place. Look what God says. Now, I just read to you the prayer that Jehoshaphat prayed to God. Now, let's look and see what God says to him. This is in verse 16 and 17 of chapter 20. He says, tomorrow, march out against them. Now, remember, the prophet has already said, the battle's not yours, it's the Lord's. But what did he say? You need to march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens in the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions. Then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you. Oh, people of Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. 
Position yourself. Notice what he said. He says, I want you to be able to watch the victory. You see, God will position you. He will bring you to position spiritually in your life. You're listening to him. Where you can see God at work. And I, what I, I see a lot of people, they, they just want God to fight their battles. They love that part. God's going to fight your battles. Oh, hallelujah. I, I don't have to do anything. That's not it. There's some other things you're going to have to do. And he said, hey, you need to get up. You need to get your battle armor on. You need to stand up and march and get into place and get into position because I'm going to have you to watch and see what I will do. Now, just be honest with me. If you are in Jehoshaphat's army, Jehoshaphat has told him, he said, Hey, guys, I got great news for you. God's going to fight our battle. Everybody in the army said, Hallelujah. But then he says, I need you to wake up tomorrow and we're going to battle. And they might say, Uh, uh, just a second. Didn't you just say uh, the Lord's going to do it? Yes. Well, what do we need to show up for? Because the Lord said, Position yourself. Go out against them, stand up, get into place, and then I'll show you. I'll show you. So I just want to encourage you. The Lord knows the battles you're going through. God had me to preach this message because of some of the battles that you're going through. In fact... I was going to preach about Nehemiah, but God rearranged that and changed that and said, no, today, I want you to preach about Jehoshaphat. Because my people in the Living Word Church who will be here tomorrow morning, they are going through some battles. And I want you to teach them how they can be positioned for victory. So I don't know what kind of battle you're going through. I don't know what you're dealing with. But I know he's saying, you better make sure you're not in a battle you don't need to be in because of wrong friendships. That's the first thing you check. Then you need to check your heart and make sure your heart is set toward seeking after God. And then you need to position yourself. So that God can work through you. And you can see the hand of God. I love the last point. The last lesson that he has. Praise will lead the way to victory. Don't you love how this battle ends? Let's read it. One of my favorite endings of a story. Second Chronicles 20, we're going to look at, uh, start at 18, go all the way to 24. Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground. All the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites from the clan of Kohath and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. 
Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. Now watch this. A little change here. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe His prophets, and you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers, the worship team, to walk ahead of the army. I love it. Singing to the Lord and praising Him for His holy splendor. And this is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Can you imagine all of the worship team singing that as loud as they could? First of all, if you're on the worship team and the king just told you, I've got great news, worship team. You are going to lead us into battle. It might be the day to call in sick. <laughs> I've got a scheduling problem. I, I listen. I can't. I can't make it today to the worship team. Uh, uh, you know. I, uh... Now, why? Why did Jehoshaphat stop the entire procession? Gave him an encouraging word, and then. Changed everything and said, guys, I just believe the Lord wants the worship team, the singers, to go out in front and to begin to sing as loud as you can. And thanks be to God, they did it. (laughs) Now watch this. You think God didn't have a bigger story going on? Let's go on. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, at the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. And then after they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking one another. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness... All they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. (laughs) Here's the question. Why did praise and worship have such a powerful impact on the enemy? Here's the answer. Praise draws the body of Christ together in unity. But praise causes the enemy confusion. Praise means the enemy has no defense against praise and worship. They can't handle it. Singing about how God is faithful... He is faithful. His love endures forever. And the enemy just can't handle it. 
It just gets him all confused. He gets all angry. And they started fighting among themselves until finally they've all killed one another. God was saying something to the body of Christ right here. He's saying something to Living Word Church. He is reminding you. He's using this story to remind you how powerful praise and worship is. You are going through a battle. Fill your life with praise. Fill your life with praise. Fill your life with praise in your car, at your home, in your private time, in your personal time, at church. Fill your life with praise. Because praise, it confounds and confuses the enemy. And the enemy's plans against you fall to the ground. Now, the enemy knows how to handle it when you get mad, when you get angry, when you get upset, when you get offended. The enemy knows how to handle all those situations, but he doesn't know what to do when you start praising God. He just can't handle it. The demons look at one another and say, what do we do? And they say, I don't know. What do we do? They're worshiping God. If they would just get mad at one another and get offended, we'd know what to do then. They can't handle praise and worship. I'm being a little reminiscent of the old things, I guess. But back when we started the church 39 years ago, I told the people, those who have been here from the beginning, you'll remember this. I said, the Lord has three simple things He wants us to do. He wants us to study the Word and have a balanced word. He wants us to have praise and worship. It's powerful. And he wants us to learn to pray effectively. Real simple. And at that time, I had no idea how powerful praise and worship was. Some of you are fighting some battles today. God had me to preach this message for this reason and I thought of a verse when it talks about praise and worship and the singers being out in the front I thought about Psalms 144 verse 1 look what it says praise the Lord who is my rock he trains my hands for war and gives my fingers skill for battle He is my loving ally and my fortress, my tower of safety, my rescuer. He is my shield. I take refuge in him. He makes the nation submit to me. How does he teach your hands and your fingers to war? I can tell you. (laughs) Right here. He wasn't talking about the sword. He was talking about he trains my hands for war. Because our hands are powerful when they are lifted up and worshiping God and saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for His mercy endures forever. 
today, if you are fighting a battle, the Lord wants you to know that He wants you to have victory in that battle. Choose your friends carefully. Set your heart to seek after God. Learn to position yourself for victory. And remember, praise leads the way. Stand to your feet if you would. I'm going to be obedient to the Lord. The Lord said that if you're fighting a battle, you would be willing to set your heart toward the Lord. There's some of you here this morning, you feel like you're face, facing an overwhelming army, an overwhelming battle. We're going to bow our heads right now. I want to pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, I just pray for people all over this congregation. Lord, people all over this place are in the midst of a battle, in the midst of a situation where they feel like there's just no way they can handle it. There's no way they can make it through it. Lord Jesus, this morning, I would like to ask you, Lord, you would help us. You would help us, Lord, to set our hearts to seek you. To learn to look to you and stop looking and stop trying to figure out why in the world am I going through the battle. But instead, Lord, setting our heart toward you. Focusing on you. Because, Lord, you have been faithful and you will continue to be faithful. Thank you, Lord. If you're going through a battle this morning, I'm going to ask you to make your way out of your chair. Come to the front. I want to join with you in prayer, and we're going to believe God that God is going to fight your battles. He is going to be faithful. I don't know what kind of battle you're facing, but the Lord simply saying to people all over this congregation, He had me preach this message for you if you're going through a battle. Maybe it's a physical battle. Maybe it's a spiritual. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's your home. Maybe it's finances. I don't know what it is. But all over this room, there are people. You are facing a battle, and you feel just like Jehoshaphat. You're terrified. God, I don't know what to do. The battle ahead of me is bigger than I know what to do with. It's bigger than I know what to handle. And God wants to help you. He wants to strengthen you this morning. We're going to worship team. We're going to sing a song that we sang earlier. Lord, do it again. Do it again, Lord. You can do it again. Let's sing that, can we? Who's singing that? Here we go. Yeah. This is my confidence. You never
us, Lord. You've never failed us yet, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're going to pray. You're here at the front. You're facing a battle. I'm just going to ask you. Remember how we, we have, the Lord teaches us our hands to battle? Though this is your best battle position. Hands raised. Hands up. Worshiping God. Let's pray. Let's pray out loud. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I look to you, Lord. I don't know what I'm going to do, but my eyes are on you. I'm going to look to you. I'm going to set my heart to look for you, to trust you. You are my help. I thank you, Lord, that you are my confidence. You are my strength. You are my help. You will help me, Lord. You will get me through this battle. You will provide for me. You will sustain me. You will heal my body. Restore my soul. Restore our marriage. In the name of Jesus, we look to you, Lord, and we trust you that you are more than enough, more than enough to take care of every need we have. And you are faithful. And you have never failed us. Never failed us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing it again. Let's sing it again. Great is your faithfulness. Yeah. Faithfulness. Yes, Lord. Sing it to the Lord. Still in your hands. Let praise fill the way. Still stands great.
faithfulness, faithfulness. Yes, Lord. Confidence never fails me yet. Lord, you've never failed us. You've never failed us. Yeah, you can give the Lord a clap offering. Thank you, Lord. If you've never been born again, you'll never be able to battle effectively. So if you're here this morning, you've never been born again, never initiated that relationship, I'm going to stay down here for a little bit after we dismiss because I want to pray with you to be born again. Otherwise, go with God. I love you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Praise God. Hallelujah.